This morning, let me start by telling you a short story. You know, one of the the privileges of having kids is that you get to tell stories about when they're grown up, about what they did when they were little. Uh, <clears throat> I may have told this story before, I'm not sure, but a long time ago when my girls were quite little, uh, one of them realized, kind of in a startling, sparkling moment of, of uh, sanity, that she needed to fill her dad in on the facts of life. And we were sitting down having a discussion uh, about the fact that she hadn't complied with something that she was supposed to have done, about her disobedience, in fact. And so she can tell I'm frustrated and I'm sort of struggling in this interaction. And so to make everything perfectly clear for me, she just says, Dad, I don't want to obey. And <laughs> it's like, now you can go on. Life's good. You get it. Now we're on the same plane and, and we'll roll down the road. I don't want to obey. That is that clear to you? Are you free to go on now? Are we good? And of course, we weren't okay. So I, I told her, well, I understand that you don't always want to obey. I get that. But in order for us to have what I used to tell the girls was happy fellowship, this means we're on good terms with each other. And this means I'm free to bless you the way I want to. You must obey. Uh, our relationship, the the quality, if you will, of our relationship, depends on your obedience and and your happiness depends on your obedience and there's repercussions to all this and this morning the text we're in ties these three things together of faith obedience and blessing and we're going back old testament genesis 12 this morning verses 1 through 3 to look at these three elements together i know it's an odd place to be right before christmas but this is where we're going to park this morning anyway <clears throat> bringing up to speed on Genesis 12, uh, about a year and a half ago, we were actually working our way through the book of Genesis. We got through the end of chapter 11. But, you know, we've read the accounts of the creation of the world and the fall, and man's put out of the garden, and man's corrupted sort of entirely. God says, I'm sorry I made them. We've got Noah and the ark, the destruction of the ancient world. God repopulates the world through Noah's descendants, his three sons. And things go bad again, and and man, instead of spreading across the earth like God said, says, no, we're going to hunker down together. We're going to build a tower that's going to reach to heaven. We're going to make a name for ourselves. It's the Tower of Babel. God comes down, confuses their language. And all along the way, God's given us these genealogies. And these were important because God had said in Genesis 3 that he was going to redeem mankind through a seed of the woman. And that one day this promised person would come and would crush Satan. And would sort of put an end to the death and the curse that was going to reign on the world until that happened. And in the end of chapter 11, we hit this additional generational story. And it's about a guy named Terah. And like Noah, he has three sons. And one of his sons is Abram. And as chapter 11 wound down, we saw Terah and his son Abram and his wife Sarai and their nephew Lot leaving Ur in the Chaldees and making their way up the Fertile Crescent to the area of Haran. And that's where we pick up this morning in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. 
and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. A couple points just as we get started. <clears throat> this is, in some ways, these are some of the most important verses in all the Bible. Because at these verses, the history, not just of a single man and his family, pivots or changes, but actually the history of the world pivots, it changes, it moves significantly at these three verses. Life for all of mankind is never the same after these three verses are spoken by God to a single man in the ancient world. Everything hinges on these. And it's interesting, too, if you've read Genesis up through chapter 11, we've read a lot of history, we've read a lot of names and a lot of stories, but they're pretty compact. They're sort of stitched together in a short framework. But you get to chapter 12, and through chapter 25, you part on one man and his story and a few of his descendants. And you got to say, now, hold on. Chapter 11, we've gone through 11 chapters, and we've only covered this much time, these short versions of lives and stories. But now we're going to spend 13 chapters on one guy and his life. What's the deal? And it all hinges on this phrase out of verse 1. The Lord said. Life's going on, and God speaks into a man's life. And that man's life is changed forever, and the history of the world is changed forever because God spoke. So at this pivotal point in history, in Abram's life, and in your life and mine, because we're affected by that, it all changes, and this, this life, if you will, gets expanded and blown out of proportion of all that came before because God spoke, and that changes everything. And you know, sometimes we get the... the uh, the thought in our mind that uh, God's in heaven and he's wondering how things are going to turn out or life's not the way we thought it should be and so God must somehow have let things slip that they're out of control. But you know, the truth is God ordains what God ordains. And when God initiates and God initiates anything that's true spiritual life or growth, he initiates, we don't. When God initiates something, he speaks. And God, through his word, changes everything as they are. So in Abram's life, he's going along. Life's probably good in many ways. There's a notable hole in his life, which we'll get to later. But life's going along, and God speaks, and that changes everything. And in Abram's life, and in the history of the world, this story opens up because God, Yahweh, speaks. You know, if you go back to the creation account, Genesis 1-1, God creates the heavens and the earth. At Genesis 1-2, though, when it starts giving an account of how things spring into life, it says, uh, sort of in the Greek or the Hebrew syntax, it says, spoke Elohim. God spoke, and then there's life. And God spoke, and then things divide. Well, here it's sort of the same formula, except it says, spoke Yahweh, the personal name of the God of Israel, so that Remember the first audience that would have read these words, they were the Jewish nation. So when they read these words, they understand that the God that they're in covenant with started this whole thing rolling when he spoke to their forebear, Abram, back when he was a pagan with the rest of the pagans in Ur of the Chaldeans. So life's going along, the history of the world's flowing along, and God speaks. God initiates a change, and everything's different. And that's why we've got a story with Abram. And that's why we take the next 13 chapters. Because God spoke and changed everything. He always spoke. That's why we have a story. Now, sometimes if you say to someone, God spoke to me, 
isn't the first thought in your mind, what did that look like? What did that sound like? Was it a dream? Did you audibly hear it? You know, a Abram heard God, and it doesn't tell us what that looked like. It doesn't tell us what it sounded like. All we know is God spoke. Abraham knew God spoke. And this is what he said. Let me, well, I'll break this down just the way I read it so you get the sense of the flow. God says to Abraham, Abram at this point, leave your country, relatives, and father's household, and go to the land I'll show you. Then God says, I will make you a great nation, bless you, make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Then God says, I will bless those who bless you, and curse those who curse you. In you, all families of the earth will be blessed. God, the initial commands to Abram, you got to get up and you got to do something. You got to leave. Get out of your country. Get away from your relatives. Get away from your father's household. And then God says, and I'm going to do all these other things. And notice the flow. Verse 1, it's sort of all on Abram, isn't it? Get up and go. Leave everything you've known. And almost everyone you've known. Behind. Where does it end, though? Verse 3, what's the reason for this command of God? And where does all this go? It goes to, so that in you, all families in the earth may be blessed. God's requiring something of Abram because he's determined to bless both Abram and the world. So the command in verse 1 is followed by, I'll bless, I'll bless, I'll bless, you'll be a blessing. I'll bless, parenthetically, I'll curse. You'll be a blessing to all the earth. So on one hand, you can imagine Abram, it's like God's rattling my cage. Life's okay the way it is. And you're telling me to leave everyone, everything I know and take off for uncharted territories with this this promise to bless, but that's the point. God is determined to bless Abram and the world, and that's why we've got the command in verse 1. And the scripture's clear, and, and you've got texts elsewhere that talk about uh, Abram's past and Terah's past as idolaters. And so part of this is, for Abram to become the blessing God means him to be, and for Abram to turn into the blessing to the earth God means him to be, God has to get him out of earth and its culture and its gods and its lifestyle and its worldview so that he can isolate him out in the land of Canaan so that he can make him the man he means him to be and the family he means him to be and the nation he means him to be. So, if you were Abram and you get this call, you might be upset and feel like you're requiring all this stuff of him. But God says, you don't understand. All this is meant both for your blessing and I'm going to use you to bless others as well. As I was thinking about this, it struck me that uh, oftentimes in life, uh, you feel like God is selling you short or God is ripping you off that your life isn't what you wanted it to be. It's not turned out the way you thought it would. You, maybe you've prayed for years that God would bless you with a certain thing or certain things. I don't know. It could be all kinds of things. Or, you know, one hand is, God, I want some things. You're not giving them to me. Or you might feel like, Lord, I'm bearing burdens I never thought I'd have to bear. Or I'm required to do things that other people aren't. 
or that somehow I look at my life and either because of what I don't get, what you withhold from me, or what I am required to do, what you require of me, I feel like I'm being cheated. I'm being ripped off. Abram's story reminds me that God is determined to bless. And if he's withholding something from you, or if he's requiring something from you, that in the big scope of things you think that's not what I would choose, you still need to land at this spot to say, God, I realize that even though this isn't what I choose, Abraham probably wouldn't have chosen end up in Canaan. But Lord, I realize that what you're doing in my life, you mean for blessing. And you know, some things, if you took it in your hands, you could force some things. You could go out and get married to somebody God probably wouldn't want you to. Or you could leave a job when you know that's where God wants you to. You, in some things in your life, you could probably have enough control. You could force things, so to speak. But you wouldn't find the blessing in you that you thought you would. So that one of the great challenges for us in life, I think, is just like Abram, it's to choose to believe in the midst of God's call, God speaks, and He requires something of us, or He withholds something from us. It's to choose to believe that God still means blessing in that for us. The text doesn't tell us about Abram's response to this call. Verse 4 just says he got a plan. Now you know things had to have gone through his mind. And you'll sort of see the same thing later when God tells him to offer his son, just as Abraham gets up to go away. But we know he's thinking things. We don't know what they are. I'm sure he was challenged just like any of us. But all the story says is he obeyed. God For us, the difference between experiencing life sort of fruitfully and well and feeling that sense of blessing or feeling like we're weighed down and cursed, sometimes the difference is just deciding to believe that God actually means to bless us. And that even though it doesn't seem like it at the time, that's where we're going to land. Verse 1 is, get up and leave everything, Abraham. But verse 2 and 3 are, because I mean to bless you. And I mean to bless others. When you read through Genesis 2, this term blessing and blessed, and blessed comes up again and again and again. And we tend to get a stereotype we get from the world that says God's small, He's stingy. He withholds. You read the scriptures, it's the opposite. Genesis says God is determined to bless. Blessing, he will bless. Now, for Abe to become the great nation, for him to get the blessings of verse 2, the great nation, the name, the posterity, he had to obey God's commands. The blessing required faith and obedience. Um, <clears throat> I am struck. Maybe you are too at times. Uh, sometimes we sit around and we wonder. Um, we look at our life, it's not what we wanted. And sometimes that's God's doing. Other times we look at our life and we say, Lord, why, why isn't it better? Uh, why don't I have more peace or joy? Why don't I feel more blessed? I'm a Christian. Well, I'm a darn good Christian. And um, I'm doing my best and I'm, you know, and yet I look at my life and I feel like, uh, where's the blessing? Where's where's the bee? Where's the river of living water? Now, there's all kinds of reasons why we'll experience dry times in life and down times in life for sure. But guys, a lot of times the answer is no more complicated than we're not obeying. 
in this formula, God says he's going to do some things, and he's going to do them. He's going to bless. But this required something of Abram. And for you and I to experience blessing in this life along the ways God wants us to, it oftentimes requires our obedience. My little daughter. See, I said, honey, for us to have happy fellowship, for me to bless you the way I want to bless you, you must obey. And if you don't obey, you won't be happy because I'm going to see to that. You're going to be very unhappy. And you know, as Christians, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. And the scripture says, Paul says twice in the New Testament, Ephesians and 1 Thessalonians, he says, don't quench the Spirit and don't grieve the Spirit. And when you and I, Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, have the Holy Spirit in us, when we're disobeying, and especially repeatedly or chronically, you know what we're doing? We are, in essence, grieving and quenching the work of the Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit do in us? He reproduces the character and the fruit of Christ. And what's that include? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, if I look at my life and I say, I'm not at peace, or where's the joy, I should be asking myself, is there some area of disobedience that God's just holding my feet to the fire on? And this isn't going to get better until I come around. Until I get up with Abraham and leave the thing I need to leave or go to the thing I need to go to because that's when God's going to bless me. And again, you can go through tough times in life. I don't mean to imply that every challenge, every, every tough period of your life that you face is based on disobedience. But I'll tell you, <clears throat> having spoken with a lot of Christians over the years, lots of times, the fact that somebody isn't experiencing God's blessing the way they would like to is directly tied to a life of disobedience. So if you want to be in happy fellowship with God, if you want to be blessed the way your Father who loves you wants to bless you, you've got to be characterized by a life of both faith and obedience. And you see both here with Abraham. It doesn't tell us what he's thinking. It just says, yeah, he got up and he went. He did the duty. Abram's not only a key example in the scriptures of faith, but of obedience. And if we want to be blessed, like Father Abraham was blessed, we've got to be characterized by those same two qualities, faith and obedience. Now, <clears throat> verse 3 is a little odd, and I think some people stumble on verse 3. Um, verse 3 says, God says, I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. So Abram, get up and leave. That's okay. You get that. And verse 2, I'm going to bless you. And, and that sounds okay, too. We're with him there. But what in the world is the deal with? I'll bless those who bless you. Even that's okay. But the one who curses you, I will curse. Why is anybody else's life on earth tied to what they think of Abram? What's with that? Alan Ross, in his... Uh, commentary on Genesis, he translates the Hebrew this way. The second line there of verse 3 in the English it says, the one who curses you, I will curse. It's the same word, but in Hebrew it's not the same word. It's two different words. So Ross translates it like this. The one who treats you lightly, I must curse. It's more emphatic. The one who disrespects you, disdains you, holds you in contempt, or looks at you lightly, I must curse. The language is even stronger. So then we're saying, now hold on. This is a passage about blessing, and you will be a blessing, and 
families of the earth will be blessed even here. God throws in this curve. I will curse those. I must curse those who curse you. What's with that? Think through this for just a minute. Remember that the world Abe lives in, it's a pagan culture. That means people on the earth, they've turned away from the knowledge of God. Romans 1 talks about that. And they've just embraced gods of their own making. That's the world Abe is coming out of. So now Yahweh, the God of God, speaks and calls out this one man and reveals himself to him. And so Abram has now become God's representative on the earth, hasn't he? So when God speaks to the earth, who does that come through? That comes through Abram. And when true worship on the earth occurs, who, who's offering true worship, as you'll see just a little later in this chapter? Abram. So sort of on the grand scale of things, if you look, heaven and earth, and what's the link between the two? It's a man. It's Abram. Abram is the link on earth between heaven and earth. So that when a person listens to what Abram says and disrespects it, who are they disrespecting? God. When they show disdain for Abram, they're showing disdain for God because Abram is his representative. If they believe and bless Abram, they are believing and blessing God because Abram has been sent by God. Otherwise, Abram would have been with the rest of the pagans there in Ur. He wouldn't be in Canaan. Wouldn't be there in the Middle East. He'd be back in Iraq. So Abram is God's representative. So when God speaks, it's through Abram. When worship occurs, it's through Abram. So the reason that other people's relationship with God was influenced or affected or determined by Abram is because Abram was the link between heaven and earth. And to embrace Abram was to embrace Abram's God. And to disrespect or reject Abram was to disrespect the God he represented. Now, people often ask Christians, do you really believe that non-Christians are going to be excluded from heaven? That they're going to be sent to hell forever? And this is supposed to be a very difficult question. So, And the thinking sort of goes, could a loving God and in this case, we'd say, could a God determined to bless really curse? Could the God of life really be committed to sending people to this place of judgment, to hell? Now, reframe the incarnation in the Christmas story. Reframe this through the lens or the, the frame, if you will, of Abram's story. And listen to the elements again. God sends a man away from his home and family in heaven to the place God showed him. Why? To make him a great nation, to bless him with future joy, to be a blessing to all those on the earth. That would be the Lord Jesus' story, wouldn't it? Abram's story is just like Christ's story, right? Jesus is God's representative on the earth. Jesus is the one who left everything he had and comes down to the earth to Palestine, to the same place Abram is. And later even, when you get to Genesis 19 or 20, when Abram offers little Isaac on the altar, Isaac walks up a mountain with a load of wood on his back to be slain by his father on a hill. And guess where that hill is? Be Jerusalem. So Abram is this forerunner, if you will, of the Lord Jesus himself. And think of this. 
God says, I'm determined to bless mankind. They're under a curse. Because you remember in the garden, they disobey. And what happens? God says, if you do, you get death. You'll be cursed, not with life. You'll be cursed with death. You won't get blessing. You'll get death and a curse. And that's the place we all start. And so God sends his man, Jesus, has him leave everyone, every place he knows, so to speak, comes down to the earth, becomes God's representative to the earth. So when people embrace Jesus, who are they embracing? They embrace his father. And when they reject Christ, who are they rejecting? They reject Father. And Jesus makes this plain in John's Gospel. First John says the same thing. You reject me, you reject my Father. To know the Son is to know the Father. It's the same thing. In Abram's day, Abram was God's link to earth. Abram was God's man. So a person's relationship with Abram determined his relationship with God. It wasn't that God was somehow saying, this guy's special, don't miss him. No, that guy represented God. And in that same sense, Jesus has become that greater fulfillment of the same kind of picture, the same kind of story. Jesus leaves heaven, comes to the earth, God's representative. He goes further than Abram, of course, because he lays down his life for us, takes our sins on himself on the cross, and rises from the dead for our justification. But the elements of the story are the same. So if someone says, well, I'm a nice guy and I should be able to go to heaven. It presupposes that we're holy on our own. Or it presupposes that there's no hindrance to God blessing. Like my little daughter. Dad, these are the facts. Deal with it. And men, men say to God, I'm okay. Deal with it. God says, no, you're not. I want to bless, God said, and I've done everything to bless. But if you reject the only means, the only provision for blessing, you have nothing left but curse and death. So the emphatic nature of God must curse in Genesis is because there's nothing else left. Men are born under a curse so that if we reject the source of blessing, we're just choosing to stay where we are in the place of death and curse. God's provided the way out, but if we reject it, there's nothing left but curse and death. That was true in Abram's day. It is true in our day again. It's more clear today because Jesus claimed it more clear. And it wasn't just a representative. It was God himself in flesh, in the incarnation. He became the link between heaven and earth. So yes, those who bless Abram, they get blessed. Those who bless or trust Christ, they get life. Those who treat Abram lightly, they're cursed. That's all that's left. Those who reject Christ, there's nothing left but curse but death. This is the Christmas season. It's the beginning of it here at the end of the Thanksgiving holiday. And as you think about what to do with this, let me just offer a few suggestions. That last phrase, the Abram's going to become a blessing to all the families of the earth. That is ultimately the first of Jesus. You know, any gift you could give to a person on this earth may be great, it may be costly, it may be the perfect fit for them at the time, but, but at the end of the day, it's all gone. Because this earth and everything in it burns up, every human ever born on the earth dies or is raptured, 
as we're waiting. But nothing here on the earth lasts. So the single gift that makes any difference to us on any ultimate scale has to do with eternal life. And God gives that to us. Abram's a picture. Christ is the fulfillment. Christ, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection. That is God's determination, starting and stated way back there in Genesis 12, through Abram to bring, to bring blessing to all the families of the earth. So for you and I today, the gift that really matters is to embrace God the Son, Jesus in the incarnation. That's God's means to bless all the families of the earth, you and I today as well. We're talking about obedience this morning. In the arena, though, of salvation, you and I, we don't bring anything to that equation. You know, uh, you'll hear the gospel confused oftentimes today. For you and I to be translated out of the place of death to the place of life and blessing, that's faith. That's received through faith alone. Discipleship will cost you everything. And God will speak into your life and require all kinds of things in your life as his child. But the gift of salvation, that's absolutely free. You and I have nothing to do with that except to receive it by faith. The scripture is quite clear on this Old Testament ordinance. So on that level, the gift of life, the ultimate blessing, it's absolutely free to us. There's no cost whatsoever. It's all been paid by Christ. Obedience becomes an issue in discipleship. Salvation, the gift of salvation in Christ is absolutely free. If you're struggling in your life and you're wondering why things aren't better, at least do yourself the favor of asking, is there something in my life that's a sticking point? Do I lack happy fellowship? Or is God not free to bless me the way he wants to because there are issues or an issue in my life that I'm simply refusing to obey? And if that is the case, change your mind about that. Choose to follow and obey because you will be blessed. God wants to bless you. So if things aren't quite right, ask yourself if that's an issue. If it's not, there may be other reasons. Through those two, but this is a good place to start. And the last is this if you're not already a Christian, uh, realize that the gift really is a gift, and it is a gift free and clear. Oftentimes, people get the sense that Christianity is getting a saddle thrown on your back, and it's a list of do's and don'ts, it's a bunch of rules and regulations, and nothing could be further from the truth. God Himself is life. And so, when he gives us himself, or more of himself, we get more life. We don't get curse, we don't get death, we get life. So if you've not already trusted Christ, and you're wavering on that, you're thinking about it, understand that Jesus' gift is life. There's no downside to it. Our Proverbs talks about when God gives you something that's good, and there's, there's no negative with it, there's no downside. That's true of eternal life. It, it costs you nothing, the gift itself of life. And it ushers in all the rest of the blessings God means to give you. So this Christmas season, remember, Steve's mentioned this in the announcement, the only gift at the end of the day that really matters is Christ himself. And he's the one ultimate. He's God's man that left his home, came down to the land of Canaan for our benefit so that all of us could be blessed.
Lord you're the God of all gods, you're the Lord of all lords. You spoke the worlds into existence. Lord, you made us that we might know you and might have eternal life, eternal joy, Lord, in your presence. Lord, we often miss that, misunderstand, and make relationship with you by rules and regulations. Lord, thank you that at your cost you provided to us the only gift at the end of the day that makes any difference at all, and that is eternal Lord, if there's anyone who's, who's wavering or is not sure, help them to see that there's life, there's peace, there's joy to be met simply by accepting the gift of eternal life. And Father, for us who know you, help us to see that your call on our life, the things you require of us, or prevent us from knowing your experience, are all part of your plan to bless us. That, Lord, your disposition to us in Christ is only goodness and blessing. And, Father, this Christmas season, as things get busy and we're running here and there, help us to focus, help us to center our thoughts and things. Yet you give us Christ and help us turn around and as we have been blessed through him, help us to turn around and be a blessing to others that's able to do that. Lord, both by sharing the message, the gift of eternal life we have, and also by just by choosing to be a blessing to serve be helpful, thoughtful, and say that we trust ourselves to you, Jesus.